Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Grindhouse, where we drink coffee and talk about movies. I'm Leah Diana, and today with my boyfriend and co-host, Sean Tatro, we will be winding back the reels. Two, 1937. During World War I, a German spy and a French spy meet and fall in love in Dark Journey. Let's get into it. 
Uh, this one, it's a very old black and white movie. So it looked like it was transferred to VHS off of a very beat up film negative. Mm. There's a lot of dirt, dust, scratches throughout the whole film. It was very hazy. So it, like it looks like it was just not well kept and or had been played many, many times, mm. possibly in the. Uh, old theaters somewhere. And what makes me laugh is two years later, we have Gone with the Wind in 1939, which the transfer I have on Blu-ray is absolutely fucking phenomenal. Like, that movie was filmed like, there are so many facts about that film that I know. Took a hundred and it looked like it took like two or three years to film this movie. You know, she was doing other films while doing Gone with the Wind. And I believe this was before that <laughs> journey. <laughs> but um, I chose this movie because I am in love with old Hollywood. I love Vivian Lee. And I think Vivian Lee was one of the greatest actresses of her time. And we only had her for a short time. She died at 53 from tuberculosis. Uh, which is shocking to us now, but back in the 50s, you know, or 60s, really not that shocking if she developed it, you know, in the mid 40s when tuberculosis, you know, they were just trying to figure out how to how to solve that issue. So before we get deep into this lovely old movie, I would like to talk about our sponsor of today's episode, which is... Can you guess what's in these boxes? All four of these boxes. Sean, what do you think is in these boxes? So much fucking tea. So much tea. So the holidays are now well over, but we recorded these. It's still January. So I took advantage of a huge sale. What I have in front of me is fall faves, winter classics, and fresh and fruity. Now, the best of 2021 we already had. And some of the ones that are in these teas, I'm just going to go over it. I'm going to ask you how you uh, feel about them. So, pumpkin chai. This tea has been in the house for months. Yeah, this one's kind of a staple. We generally always have it because I think it's one of your favorite it ones. It is one of my favorite ones. I was never really big into chai because chai is a warmer kind of tea. A lot of warm spices. And today, Sean is drinking organic... No, you're drinking cardamom French toast, which cardamom is a warming spice, which is present in some of these teas. Uh, Another one of the teas is the Reishi Relax. Um, While I had COVID, drank this one a bit. I'm out of my Reishi Relax, and I'm also out of one of my cold 911s. I have now fallen in love with anything blueberry tea. I'm not even fucking kidding. (laughs) All of these blueberry teas, there's organic blueberry jam and blueberry fields forever. A little bit of vanilla, the the skinny vanilla syrup, just a little pump, and it is fucking magical. I have started almost every morning with this fucking tea, and I love it. Uh, What are you going to do when we run out? Buy more. (laughs) Um, These are actually the little sample boxes, as you can hear. There's 12 tins of loose leaf tea and infusions. And each one on the back has a description, tells you the caffeine level, um, if you can make it hot or cold. Some of the fruity teas actually recommend that you make them cold. Um, Tells you how much to measure, how long to steep it, 
and if it's good with additives and stuff, such as their own agave syrup, which I purchased, which is very good, very lovely. And as someone who's a diabetic, you don't always want to use straight sugar. It can mess with your system. So I enjoy using the skinny syrups, the agave, the honey. It's perfect. Um, How do you like your cardamom French toast? I mean, I haven't really been able to sip it too much yet because it's still scalding fucking hot. (laughs) But... It has a really nice scent to it. It, it they do. Um, yeah, I think it needs to steep a little longer, but I think it's it's a nice it's a nice tea. It's yep. a nice... And it says here that we brewed it at two hundred degrees, and it needs three to five minutes. And I believe it's only been about four minutes since yeah. we uh, since we did so. I I can't recommend these teas enough. Uh, some of my other favorites, some of my other famous, some of my other favorite favorites include the baked apple chai. Maple syrup oolong, uh, the Buddha blend, which was the first tea I ever purchased from David's Tea. And let me tell you, Buddha blend is incredible. It is a mix between white and green tea. It has peach flavoring and white hibiscus blossoms. And I am obsessed with hibiscus. I always have been. It's a nice, good white pick-me-up tea. It's medium caffeinated, so you won't really have a lot of the jitters if you drink it during the day. Now, don't get me wrong. This is a podcast where we drink a lot of coffee. We do. But sometimes you just need a warm cup of tea, especially when we're in the winter months. And living in New England, we can fluctuate anywhere between 60 degrees to negative 20 here. You wake up and, you know, flip a coin and go, what kind of weather are we going to have today? So it's nice to have a really warm cup of tea, whether you're staying in or you've got to go brave the elements and go to work. Definitely look in our description of the show notes to sign up for the tea subscription. I have not yet, but that's because I'm using these to build my obsessions. And let me tell you, it's six deep and I'm almost ready to get that subscription. So I picked this film because of Vivian Lee. But I also picked this film because I didn't look at the back of the box. I didn't look at the synopsis. synopsis. I didn't look at the synopsis and I saw Dark Journey and I went, ooh, Vivian Lee, movie called Dark Journey. This might be intriguing. It's the 1930s. What was I expecting? Was I expecting a horror movie? I'm honestly not sure. Um, Just based on what I'd seen, the back of the box and whatnot, it didn't seem like it was going to speak to me personally. And surprise, surprise, it didn't. It it didn't. Poor Sean looked absolutely bored during this movie. And I felt bad, but you got to understand that this is a film, and I'll go into the explanation on the box. This is a film that you probably would see in some grindhouses because it's old kind of the subject matter. It's about espionage, spies, but it also shows you the beginning of old Hollywood, the beginning of film error, in my opinion. Yeah. As I mentioned before, like this, at least this version of the movie that we have, it there's a lot of dust, a lot of green, a lot of fading to this, the film itself before mm. it was put onto VHS or DVD or anything. So... To me, it looked ended up looking a lot more like it was a silent film, even though it wasn't. In, in moments and times where scenes would jump and how they would be filmed really made me feel like it should have been a silent movie. 
But silent movies, this movie is only like, what, 10 years after the silent movie era? Yeah. So it, it, it was one of those movies that, yeah, this wouldn't keep audiences now. But if you really do like old films, if you like black and white, if you like old Hollywood, check this out. And um, we actually have this in... A double feature. Uh, this is called Legendary Hollywood Stars. It's a double feature, and it says Vivian Lee on the cover. Um, it is Dark Journey and Fires Over England. We did not watch Fires Over England um, because it's an older, like, almost Elizabethan movie. And I was like, no, I'd rather do the, the World War One. So I'm going to read the back of the cover. It says double feature Vivian Lee. Vivian Lee, one of the world's most distinguished actresses, an Academy Award winner for her immortal, an Academy Award winner for her immortal role as Scarlet in Gone with the Wind, it's feature, is featured here in two of her earlier films. So these are pre Gone with the Wind. Dark Journey, the settling in Stockholm during World War, the setting, uh, the setting is Stockholm during World War One. Vivian Lee plays a French double agent spy masquerading as a traitor. She soon becomes involved and falls in love with her German spy contact, Vidit. An engrossing story of spy cross lovers, young Vivian Lee is radiant. This was filmed in black and white, 1937. It's 80 minutes, but this was released by Eddie Entertainment in 1994. So this is definitely an old one, and I just noticed her name is completely faded from the top of the box. Yeah. So somebody actually had this, like... This this part was, was in the sun. Yeah, it was in direct sunlight wherever it was kept, whether it be a video store or possibly in somebody's house. Yeah, but, but the the tapes look really good. I these look like they were barely played, and likely they weren't. Yeah, and even this box, while there's a sticky part here, this is where the that's what the, I think the goodwill, uh, the sticker, goodwill was. sticker was. But, yeah, um, this box is in really good condition as well. It's really nice to see people take care of these films because you know and something tragic about antiquing or going finding films like this is this was in someone's home this was loved this was cared for and probably a loved one passed away of old age and this is how we acquire these um so antiquing has its ups and you also have to thank all when you see that lovely little old lady sticker on there that says her name and her address in case, you know, the movie ever gets lost. And then you're like, I found her obituary. That's why I have it. So <laughs> it sucks. But, you know, it is what it is at this point in life. Um, so let me get into a little bit of facts on this. Well, before we start the facts, we should just go over the basic info of this movie. All right. You want to take the basics? Yeah. So this is... Uh... As we said, we watched Dark Journey. It's a 1937 British spy film directed by Victor Seville. It stars Conrad Veidt and Vivian Lee. This one was written by Arthur Wim- Wimpress, I think is how you say I his think last so. name. It originally came out March 28th, 1937. I don't have any kind of uh, budget or box office numbers for this because they weren't records on that stuff weren't really kept back then but this was shot at Denham Studios which uh, all the sets and everything were designed by Andre Andreju 
who I believe was one of the more prominent set designers at that time. Mm. I mean, there weren't many. Most of the people came off of theater yeah. set design. So, like, you'd have those people transitioning to much bigger types of set design with film. And I'm kind of looking at this, like, thinking this was a an espionage movie about World War One, And then, what, like, eight years later, World War Two would start... So this is definitely one of those, like, movies shot about that first war, like, stuck in the middle of, like, the turmoil of everything happening between the world wars, which I don't know much about World War One and World War Two. I'm more of a Civil War buff. But, you know, people that I know that are huge World War One and World War Two buffs love these espionage movies. They love looking into, like... Well, the double you, agent kind of thing. It gives you thing. a glimpse behind the curtain, mm. like at some of the stuff that was going on back then that most average people didn't get to see. No, you wouldn't think that, you know, a successful businesswoman would be working for the Germans and at the same time giving that information to the French. Like, that's unheard of. This movie was set in 1913, I believe, my notes say, that I found. Um... Yeah, 1918. 1918. This film was set in 1918, which means it, it, it. You women really didn't have a lot to do with the troubles and and tribulations of war and men. Yeah, and I actually took note of some of that throughout this movie. I figured you would pay attention to that because I think coming off of. China Syndrome, where we we noticed heavily the sexism in that movie, Mm -hmm. and how even in the, that was in what, the 70s, 79, and it, uh, the sexism was very prominent. Very prominent. Very in your face, it still existed. So you take that back to the, what was this, the 30s, you said? Yeah, 30s. Or actually, 1918 is when it takes place. Yeah, where it was set in 1918, yeah. But something I made note of was the fact that Throughout this movie, there's almost a role reversal between Vivian Lee's character and... Vidette's character. Conrad Veidt, I assume. Yeah, Conrad Veidt. Uh, he, so, I noticed it most prominently in the dinner scene, which is kind of late into the movie. But there's this moment where she, the way she's talking and carrying herself feels very, almost like she's in the position of the masculine role at that point Mm. and the way he's speaking is very like he's worried about her he he even calls himself a coward like he's very reserved and meek and quiet i think that's because of all the the hiding they had to do it is but it also comes across as like what like so when you go into a black and white movie generally you expect to see the male be like stern rigid Collected while the woman is more doting, she's quieter. She's like she she'd be the one to say, I'm, "I worry about you." But here, it's the roles are reversed, mm-hmm. and it, I thought that was very interesting for a movie of this time to have her take on that switch in personality. I think that's why Vivian Lee is so adored as an actress. She. Is was notori- no- She was notorious for being very difficult to work with, but she also gave a hell of a performance. Do you remember any of the characters besides hers in this film? 
Uh, mostly just her and the guy. Yeah. And even Conrad beat it. I was like, eh, he's okay. He's all right. I would have liked somebody different in this position, but he was an actual German actor. One of the fun facts I found out is everyone in this film has a predominant British accent. They're all British. He is the only German actor in this film, which makes it difficult for you to realize that she's French playing a Swede. Or, you know, her shopkeepers are a French woman and a German woman. And her butler or her servant, I don't know what he was. She said servant and butler, too. He was supposedly a um, a Swedish man who hated Germans, but in the end ended up being a German spy. Which was like, that was a heck of a twist. That was like, ooh, look, a little twist. Yeah, I, I wasn't really expecting it, no. honestly. But it, it made you realize, like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, you couldn't trust anybody back then. Um, what I found remarkable is I've watched Gone with the Wind several times. I've seen a street card named Desire. But Vivian always has this one look she does where she stands there fucking resting bitch face with one of her eyebrows going. And it's her, like, stern kind of look. It's famous for um, a party scene in Gone with the Wind. But I noticed she did it in this when her and Conrad were telling each other, like, I know who you are and I know who you are. And they didn't care in that moment. In that moment, they just wanted to be two lovers whisked away. Which I was like, this has like heavy, and I said it when we paused the movie at one point, I was like, this has got real heavy, like Casablanca feeling, but it's not as great. This is like definitely a movie that could have taken, oh, well, do you remember Dark Journey? Like, that's kind of what the story is supposed to be like when the, the actors were being explained, how do I portray these characters for Casablanca? Which... <coughs> Sorry, the Rona still got me a little. Um, which it's it's really really fascinating to see the journey of all of these actors and actresses. This movie is also eighty six years old. Yeah. Eighty fucking six years old. That's ridiculous. That this is where we were almost ninety years ago, and now you know what's the biggest movie that was released with all the bells and whistles. Avatar, The Way of the Water. I think that's what it's called. The Way of Water or The Way of the Water? Yeah. Honestly, like... and Right this, now, that's the newest this, like yeah, technological movie I can think of. This is going to derail us slightly, but like that movie came out very recently and it had so much less of a impact than I thought it was going to. Like, just judging from like how big the first one was... Mm. And then this one came out, maybe because it has I, taken him so long I to do these sequels. I think he waited too long. I think one people... Well, we watched something last night for... Oh, God. His name's Cinemassacre. Is that who he is? Yeah, uh, James Rolfe. James yeah. Rolfe. We watched him go over, like, basically why people say Avatar's overrated. And I am one of those people who said years ago, Avatar's overrated. But I understand why I said it. And I also understand why I need to give it a second shot. I saw Avatar in theaters with my friends. I loved Avatar when it came out, but the hype behind it is almost suffers from a Frozen-like I agree. movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, the hype... So, depending on where you're standing in this landscape of movies, mm. 
So for me, the hype is warranted only because of the technological achievements he made to get that movie done. Correct. Like he had to invent new 3D technology in order to get what he wanted out of it. Not to mention his dedication to fully building out the world of Pandora. Which I can appreciate because some filmmakers don't do that. Yeah. And... A lot of people, like, from a filmmaking standpoint, Avatar is a fucking heavyweight. It's like, phenomenal. Not many films can stand up to it. But I do think it's, some people blow it out, out of the water a little too much because it's fucking, it, it's not the most original story. We've seen it many times before, but. What did, what did my friend that I used to call it? Uh, Pocahontas in space. Uh, basically, but yeah. he compared it to a shit ton of films: Fern Gully, Dances with Wolves, Dances with Wolves. I mean, yeah, but what movie nowadays is one hundred percent original? There's very few. There is. There's very, very few. You talk to a filmmaker nowadays, and they'll tell you, "Well, I got inspiration from Carpenter or Lynch, or you know Kubrick, or you know I got inspiration from cartoons from my childhood." There, you have to build off of inspirations from anywhere. I've honestly 100% can say there is no film that I know that is 100% like, you know, original. I would say movies that come close as Jaws comes pretty close to being original. Uh, Night of the Living Dead, that comes very close to being very original. Um, you know, Friday the 13th comes pretty close. Friday the 13th, and Friday the 13th came out be- only because of Halloween. Yep. So it's even that. James isn't says fully that. Original. James yeah. says that, you know, Friday the 13th drew from Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street drew from, you know, other things. And it's it's remarkable that watching these older films, and this is why I appreciate older films, no matter how kind of blase, and honestly, this movie was blase and boring, but I couldn't look away because the impact that these old movies have on what they do today, like that double espionage. Like, you can't tell me that Casablanca didn't draw from this and that, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith didn't draw from Casablanca. That was the first spy movie I could think of right now. Uh, yeah, that, that's a little bit of a stretch. Example. But like espionage movies like Mission Impossible, they drew from somewhere, something, you know, the, the, the Kingsman, that drew from something. Those are, these are remarkable fucking films. And even shitty films like Tommy Wiseau's The Room, he had to have drawn from other stories. Guaranteed. And you know, I hate to fucking mention this goddamn man's name. I hate it. He's not allowed in this house. But Neil Breen had to have drawn his inspiration from other movies too. He's not allowed in the house. Yeah. The only way you can watch Neil Breen is if Red Letter Media reviews him. Neil Breen is a fucking enigma. I don't understand that man. Never will. Let me tell you, if you want to check out Neil Breen's movies, be ready to drop $150 to $200 on a bootleg copy of his DVD that he sells online. Yeah, because he sells them himself yep, and he charges insane amounts insane for them. Because they're the greatest works. According to him. So let's actually talk about a great work. So this, the, honestly, the way this plot goes, it's extremely fucking quick. Lately, we've been saying these plots are very quick, but this one's very quick. So I'm going to go over kind of a basic synopsis of this one. Um, Let's see. So in the spring of 1918, 
a German U-boat stops a Dutch freighter. And on this freighter is our star, Vivian Lee, who her name is Madeline. Madeline owns a dress shop in Sweden. Um, she is stopped and asked, you know, why have you been traveling six, seven, eight times across the channel? I own a dress shop. I go to Paris to pick up the local fashions. I can't bring them back on a train. So I bring them back this way. Okay, that's fine. But they said that they're kind of paying attention to her at that point. She gets back to the dress shop, um, unloads her cargo, picks up a few things, tells her butler, we're going to travel to Madame So-and-So's house to give her the latest fashions. Once they get there, she's ushered upstairs into a room with three gentlemen. Doors are locked. The dress is draped over a lamp that has a map on it. And she reads out numbers and Morse code written in the lace of the dress. I have to say, like, this little reveal moment, I definitely didn't expect that. I didn't either. I'm like, how is a woman going to be a spy? I'm like, damn. I thought it was a really interesting way to transport information. I'd never seen anything like that before. Which means some of these dresses or these robes, she spells gar- she sells garments, robes, it said, um, that once she's done with them, she sells them. And that means the women of Sweden, these upper crust women, are wearing spy plans or spy plans that are woven into their garments. That's fucking cool. Tell me who's done that lately. You Nobody know? I can think of. Hmm? Nobody I can think right? of. Right? So after that... Kind of goes through the motions of her, you know, being at the boutique, selling her garments, you know, whatnot. Uh, then we're introduced to, what was his full name? Baron von Marowitz, who is believed to be a German deserter. Um, he enters Sweden. Um, he gets interrogated by um, a man checking his passport. And he was like, oh, you know, you don't have the means to stay here. You know, we, we don't want you in our country. He goes, oh, read this piece of paper. This is, you know, the proof that I have the money to keep myself here. Uh, this man reads this paper, looks frightened and says, Sweden welcomes you. You may stay as long as you like. And we're all like, hmm, the fish is... So we kind of go through the motions. We see Madeline, you know, go to parties, go to dinner with friends. Von Marowitz and her kind of meet and, you know have a run-in where she inadvertently gives away a secret of how he gets all the women at parties. Um, I kind of tried... Did you Did you try to understand this little parlor trick? Uh, I didn't really... I don't think you paid attention to this. So what he would do is he would write down how each woman of a nationality would react after being kissed. And he'd keep the the little note in his pocket on a piece of paper. So he'd be like, oh, where are you from? Well, I'm from France. Well, French women react a certain way. So he's like, I know exactly what you're going to say after I kiss you. Oh, really? Well, he kisses her and she reacts that way. Do another girl. So he does a, a Swedish girl. And then he does a Brazilian woman. And the Brazilian woman is like, how did you do that? And she's smitten with him. All the things women would fall in love with in the early 1900, uh, like 20th century. Jesus Christ, ladies. But then while that Brazilian woman was getting a drink, she overhears Madeline say, oh, I know that parlor trick. You write down what women say and you keep it in your pocket. That way you can go, oh, this is how Brazilian women react. And he has what they would react to. So she calls him out and he's intrigued with the fact that Madeline is so brazen and would be like, oh, she's 
for lack of a better word, she's ballsy. And he kind of is very intrigued and smitten. So the two of them start kind of a little bit of a romance together. Meanwhile, in the background, Madeline is, you know, traveling to get more information um, for the Germans to where the French are going to be and try to ambush them. Um, Unfortunately, she gives the Germans bad information and the French were waiting for them later. They intercepted some sort of fight, but the French were there later and then caught them and all those people were caught. So Madeline is questioned immediately going, you need to go back to France and you need to find out with your contacts what happened. So this was hard to understand um, that whole scene, but it seems like before she got whisked away, they had that big dinner where she was pretty much absolutely fallen in love and he did too where did you notice he proposed marriage to her no yes he proposed to me he proposed like i would like to marry you basically it was harder weaving into the story the way it was because you saw her have kind of like a little tantrum like how many other women do you love and she walked away Mm. but that was kind of women's way of grabbing men's attention like if i sit here and accuse you and start a fight you're going to do everything in your power to bring me back i think women still try to use this trick nowadays but it uh yeah as sean rolls his eyes it that's not how it works anymore ladies uh just be completely honest you had to play the game back then you didn't know who who people were um during this dinner unfortunately before all this happens uh her butler is murdered is killed And she goes to identify him and finds out that he was a German spy, even though he hated Germans, which means he was doing a pretty good job, but somebody caught him. Yeah. She was like, I didn't know. And which surprises her because she is a German spy. Like, she didn't know he was a German spy at all. She was like, no, I I didn't know this. Kept his cover even from her. Very, very well. So while that happens, then there's the whole bit about... You know, she gave bad information. She needs to go back to France to converge with her French spies and find out what happened, why we got bad information. So all the while, before she leaves, Baron von Marowitz confronts her and is like, I know who you truly are. And basically she says, well, I know who you truly are. You're the leader of the... German intelligence and he's like and you are a German spy masquerading but you are really a French spy and then comes the dullest kiss I have ever seen yeah so I personally I love how unconvincing kisses could be in older films it was literally if you take your lips and somebody else's lips and just go just press them together you just grace you just gracefully just raise I was like, damn. But I think I have a theory as to why mm. they are this dull. Like, sometimes, like, in, you have to remember, this is the early days of film. Very early. So, most actors and actresses are coming from the stage and transitioning into film. True. So, my theory here, like, because some of the notes I, a lot of the notes I took down were about the filmmaking mm. and like the acting things like that the performances throughout this film are they're very stage like so everybody feels like they're performing on a stage rather than in front of a camera 
the even the the camera angles like everything shot wider flat as if you were were placing a camera to look at a stage like that's kind of how it feels mm. for most of the, the time um and i think that this like coming from the stage type of performing on a stage you don't actually have to kiss because you can't tell yeah like it's just you can literally just press your faces together and people are going to assume what's happening because they're far enough away Mm. bringing that into film i think eventually they realized it doesn't look realistic yeah on camera it looks great in a theater but on camera you need to on camera it's like dirtier hey you must be on top of each other for us to be convinced you're in love um yeah, it's. It was one of those things where I was like, I wanted it to be like this passionate kiss because I'm so used to old Hollywood passion kisses, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is still real young Hollywood. Mm. Honestly, even some of the more famous old Hollywood kisses aren't real. No. Like no, you I remember them as being real, but then when you see them now, it's like that. They're not actually Now I'm going to look at old movies, and now I'm going to scrutinize them by their kisses. <laughs> Did you kiss crap properly? No, you need to be Did on you, top of her. Did you use tongue? If you're not using tongue, it's not convincing. Um, Did you lick her tonsils? <laughs> Did you check for cavities? <laughs> Sorry, did your head come out the other side of her back end? It's Whoa. not a kiss. Um, <laughs> that's real dirty. <laughs> um, so she goes to France and... There's this whole... It's really cool how you see the fact that everybody who's like, you're under arrest, you're under arrest. Like, it was all a ploy to get her back to the president or whoever the the, the leader of the French kind of spy network or whatever it was, um, and give her the highest medal of honor in France for what she's done because she caused a major turn of events in the war, which was kind of incredible but i don't know enough of world war one to kind of piece what she was part of all i know is they did a hell of a job and she did a hell of a job keeping her cool to get to that point because they were really laying on her at one point so she gets back to stockholm and that's when the meeting with uh, von marowitz happens i'm sorry where they reveal who each other is and they plan their future in the foothills of France at this little lake in the mountains and she says something that really moved me where she was like you know we'll always he says we'll always be caught we'll always be found and she was like well that means the dream is really over like in that very moment in those 10 minutes of them kissing and feeling passionate they felt like they could be real people in love but they realized that they both work for either side and once they leave this room Whoever gives the information to the top first wins. So basically, once she leaves this room, it is an ensuing kind of battle where she runs to her... um, I don't know if it's a co-conspirator or it's her connection. His name is Robert or Bob. Pretty much says, I'm in trouble. Von Marowitz is the leader. Which they were like, oh, okay. Well, let's get him. But like, no, he knew exactly who I was, so I'm in trouble. So they pull out a plan of how to get her out of there. Von Marowitz in the German army put a sign on her shop that says special sale so it flocks hundreds of people into her store to where the Germans can get her out of there quietly without a scene. But the Swedish police were 
The Swedes are so pissed at all of this. They don't take kindly to French or German spies. It doesn't matter what side you're on. They don't want you in your con- their country. So the Swedish police show up, escort Madeline to the police station where they pretty much find everything out. They interrogate her and say, you're being deported. We don't want you here. Like, we, we can't take this. No one is going to come into our country and lie about this shit. Like, I don't care what side you're on. So they deport her. And while being deported... The Germans, the Germans, I guess, get to the ship first. The Swedes lock her in her stateroom till they're three miles away because that's too far to swim back to mainland. So at that point, the Swedes have her locked down in the boat. The Germans try to get her out of there. The French, they're all trying to get her off of this boat. Um, At one point, you see in the beginning of the film where they have the German U-boat stop that first Dutch freighter and everybody goes out of their staterooms. They inspect everybody. They pull the person they're looking off off. Everybody goes back to what they were doing. They did the same thing, but Von Marowitz is the one who boards the ship and Von Marowitz pulls her and says, well, let's, let's go. And they're like, but she has a Swedish passport. She is not a Swede. She is a French woman. She is a spy. She needs to come with us. Thus ensues what could have been one hell of a battle if technology was right but it's kind of lackluster but I understand because it's the 30s thus ensues a what is it called a British Q ship which is a heavily armored merchant ship concealing weaponry approaches the U-boat that is trying to take Madeline aboard the U-boat to bring her back to Germany um, for containment Um, they sink the enemy vessel and rescue Madeline With that, they take Von Marowitz and his crew onto the British ship, where uh, the British um, representatives there say, you know, we're going to treat you guys very well. We're going to bring you back to England. Don't worry. Everything will be fine. Madeline, you're safe. But then they say, Von Marowitz has to go on the other boat. We have to take him into custody. He has to go into, basically, he's a war criminal now. So now he's in captivity until the end of the war. She was like, are you going to kill him? Like, no, we don't kill our, we don't kill our prisoners. You and I both made that face like, that's not true. Listen here. I know you want to be painted as the good guys, but But, um, (laughs) in war, every side killed prisoners at some point. Yes. It, um, it, war does not equal peace. As much as people think that going to war will solve problems, I don't think war solves anything. When people go to war, lives are devastated. I mean, the last time this country went to war, it lasted what twenty years almost. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't even. None of us really know if the war in Afghanistan or any of that is still going or not going. Honestly, like I think, to be honest, and I think this is very polarizing for me to say as an American, I have no fucking idea what's happening. We don't get accurate news information in this country no and i mean for me personally it doesn't help like i very much distance myself from society in a lot of ways Mm. i don't follow what's going on in the news i don't follow like politics or anything like that i honestly just keep to myself and keep myself alive that that is it I personally like living this way. I think it's a little bit... It's kind of a blissful ignorance to some degree, but 
I think it helps me get through life without having to live with constant dread and anxiety about things that I can't fucking control. Yeah. I still read the news some days. I still look up stuff. And nowadays I've gotten to the point where I read the news and I look up things and I my anxiety goes through the roof. And I have to like take stuff with a grain of salt. Like I'll read BBC News. That's where I go for all my information on what's happening. And I've sadly, and I know that a lot of people will be angry, I've taken myself away from politics because it got to the point where I I stress myself out so much I don't know what to do. Um, I have undiagnosed mental issues. I know I do. And I got to take care of me. I, I can't worry about the world. We're too poor at this point and so low on the totem pole to really want to give a shit. And I feel like a lot of people feel like that. Like, oh, great. More bad news. More bad news. Like, you know, every time I turn, I open the news. There's a mass shooting. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, I'm, I can't. I, I, I can, like, can't. Enough is enough. Like, <clears throat> the one mass shooting that was close enough to us was Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook wasn't that far away. It's in Connecticut. And when it happened, I was working as Mrs. Claus on the Polar Express in Newport with little children. These kids anywhere between like infant to like 10 years old. And when that happened, I remember being on the caboose in the back of the caboose waiting to come out because I'd get a signal to come out as Mrs. Claus. And I, yeah, I was Mrs. Claus as a 20-year-old, but let me tell you, nobody else wanted to be Mrs. Claus on that train. Um, it was, it was devastatingly terrifying. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. To hide the fear you have in your eyes from children. How do you explain to children that a bunch of six year olds got, just got killed? They were doing nothing. Like, it's one of the reasons why I'm very happy we're not having kids because I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. You know, it's it's gotten to the point where, oh, why aren't millennials having children? There you go. I can't afford to feed myself. I'm too sick sometimes to take care of even myself. You want me to take care of other lives? No. Go see somebody else to further the population. This household will have cats. Oh, so many cats. Two isn't that many. (laughs) But in the small space, it might be. So at the end of the film, since I've derailed, um, Madeline goes down to the bottom of the ship and waves 
towards Van Morrison and she says, I'll be waiting because she wants to build a life with him. She's in love with him. So it's nice that at the end of the film, Madeline will be transported back to France or she'll go to some neutral area or she'll be kept hidden till the war is over. And hopefully Von Marowitz survives his, capti- ca- uh, his captivity so he can be with her again. Um, it is a very cut and dry film, but it is a very, I think, romanticized version of what espionage could be. Which a lot of these older films were. Yeah. Because you're not going to show, like, the details of if Madeline was caught immediately by him, he would have had to kill her immediately. Yeah, that's true. Like, if he knew the woman I'm in love with is the reason why we just lost a battle. It would be his civic duty. It would be his duty to his country and his command to be like, my love, I need to make sure that you never, ever get word or no one ever gets word of, of me. Because he, if he gets captured, like, that's a huge... The head of the intelligence, that's yeah. that's a big deal. So the fact that he sort of kind of sacrificed himself and didn't really care was a little weird because I could have seen him immediately just shooting her and just being absolutely devastated about it but it was his duty well it's kind of interesting because like from the moment that they reveal themselves to each other it's like you kind of are teetering you're like wondering are they gonna turn each other in are they gonna run away together like is one gonna betray the other like it's I don't know with these spy films it's always that's always a possibility so you're you're always left kind of wondering what's about to happen. And the thing that was gut-wrenching was even Von Marowitz said, we could run, but they will always find us. Like, he thought of it. He flirted with the idea of taking her and running away, which is beautiful. It's amazing. But what country would they truly be safe in? At that time? At none. that time, nobody. I mean, even I think the Americans had were starting to kind of help out in the war. And they weren't accepting war criminals at that point, which to either side, they're war criminals, you know, to the Germans, she's a war criminal to the French. He's a war criminal, you know? Well, because if you accept war criminals, you're basically choosing a side. Yeah. Can't be uh, neutral. No. I mean, the only truly place that's ever been neutral is Switzerland. And lately, with all of the problems in with Russia uh, going after Ukraine, Sweden took a stance for the first time, and it was shocking to hear that they were on Ukraine's side. Not because, like, no, everybody should be on Ukraine's side, but it was like, wait, the Swiss country neutrality? Oh, yeah, boy. They uh, they sided one way or the other. Yes, yeah, that's... that's big. That's, uh, <laughs> world's gonna end, people. <laughs> that's definitely a telltale. Uh, I got. I have a. I have a few facts. Um, so this movie was set in 1918, but the fashion was set in 1937. So that's definitely one of those things that doesn't line up. It doesn't line up. The fashion is about 29 years old uh, or 29 years uh, newer. So some of the fashions that she's toting around would not have been present in Europe at that time. Right. Um. With this movie being this old, um, I do not believe there is any color for this film at all. 
No, I don't think so. And I think with the transfer being so rough, I don't think there could be color. I mean, it's possible you could go back and do like a Technicolor pass and like, which essentially create color Mm. where there is none. They've done that with a lot of movies. And I honestly, I hate it. Yeah, it doesn't look good. I would love to know what color some of those dresses were. I would love to see how the lighting would have been in some of the party elements. I've always said it, but Gone with the Wind is in color and it's in Technicolor. It's that that early color. And I hate how bright and happy it is for such a heavy story. Yeah. And I'm like, it shouldn't be this romanticized. But back then, that's what things were. They're romanticized. And if you're thinking the 1930s, you know, the Civil War wasn't that long. It was like, what, maybe like 90 years? Yeah. If that, like... Now we're looking at, you know, a hundred and something fucking years. And the way they portray that film and the way it happened in real life, you know, in the South for Southerners, for that, 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 that Southern plantation ideal, it it did kind of look like that. But you also have to think like the way people were treated and how things happened, it could have been portrayed much more darker yeah and i've heard on the wind very very subtly on the wind prior to 2020 that they wanted to do an updated version of gone with the wind no which now after 2020 and after you know all of the movement of you know holding people accountable gone with the wind is very much a polarizing movie now to where it shows a history of film i appreciate the film i appreciate the acting i don't appreciate a lot of the subject matter now and I see where loving this movie for everything kind of might have been wrong when I was younger but that's where educating yourself comes in so I've taken the time to educate myself a lot as a woman of the 2020s now and while I still love the movie for its pioneering in filmmaking and acting and it being one of the greatest films ever created the subject matter is not anymore so but um it's not a movie we're going to cover on this podcast i've already made it clear because of the fact that this movie is one one of the most famous movies it would never have been in a grindhouse and two it's fucking titanic length it's two fucking tapes, guys. Long fucking movie. It is a very long movie, and when every Thanksgiving uh, it would be on, and it would always be on. I think it was Turner Classic Movie would just run the movie the whole weekend or the whole time. I would watch every second of it because I loved it. It's one of my favorite films, but it's also a film where, well, in a twelve-hour period, you can only watch the film maybe like five or six times. Where I could put on Red Letter Media and let that fucking run for ages and listen to them bitch about really bad movies I'd rather do that (laughs) so you have any final thoughts on this film there Sean I know you had a lot of notes on the the filming part of it well so like I said like I I don't have a ton more notes like most of the stuff I wrote down were just about the filmmaking itself um this this is a movie that I think given when it was made 
and the time period that it's made about it uh it, it employs a lot of classic like propaganda techniques that mm. i notice like it does a lot of things where it'll transition through montages that crossfade images over one another to relay information so rather than having a character hop on a phone and say hi this is blah 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 with british intelligence or whatever mm. german intelligence in this case they will do <coughs> they will do things like a soldier speaking on a landline and he's just talking with command telling them information and it'll crossfade the flag of his country over that image yeah so that you get connect in your mind oh this guy's a german soldier he's telling his superiors the information he just learned it does a lot of things like that that i thought it was kind of cool like it's as a kid i probably never would have picked up on that type Mm, of stuff yeah now i do because i watch so many fucking movies and i know these ideas yeah and it uh i don't know like i think it's cool that propaganda film making had its place but it bled into narrative filmmaking a little bit here and there i mean the most recent stuff i can cite that does that is your most hated movie of all time starship troopers that's literally straight German propaganda type of stuff put in a sci-fi setting. Yeah. But it's it's in- always interesting to see it used in a different way, I think. But yeah, I don't have a ton more beyond that. All right. So let's close this out then. Moving into closing questions. Yes, sir. Did you have any favorites? Um, there was... One line that Madeline says, or no, there's one line that Lupta says to Carl, um, to Car- yeah, Carl Van Marwitz. I'm going to back it up. I do have one favorite line. It's uh, Lupta, the Brazilian girl, says to Van Marwitz um, as he's eyeing Madeline, kind of like, oh, she's beautiful. She goes, Carl, I have everything I want. Have you? So she knows that his eye is wondering, and which is funny because she met him the night before, and he took her shopping just so he could get closer to Madeline. And I was like, oh, look, ladies are still being used back then. They still use this technique now. But uh, yeah, that one. And I think there was another, there was another moment where when she was being presented with the Medal of Honor and she says, your excellency... K-125 was a woman, wasn't she? And he says, yes, she was a postal worker. And he's like, women, like, at that point, I understood the scene as being like, women were being used because they weren't expected. But when they're caught, it's devastating because that's a woman, a young woman's life that was taken because she wanted to serve her country. Young men were expected to serve their country, but when a young woman wanted to serve their country, it was devastating. And I'm like, props to those women who did it. Sucks that they were caught or, you know, they were killed. But props to those women for standing up. They're braver than me. I don't think I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> Physically or, you know, mentally. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Any favorites? Um, There were only two moments in the movie that, like, one I straight up found hilarious. Mm. And the other 
was kind of just a very telling of the time kind of a thing, so I noted it. Mm. Uh, the one that made me laugh was the... I, I can't remember his actual name in the movie. The the guy, the uh, Van Vi- Marowitz. Yeah, Van Marowitz. Yeah, he walks into the room all sternly, and then everybody's sitting around. There's a bunch of people sitting around a table, and he closes the door quietly behind them. They all look at him silently, traitor! and all at Screaming. once, they all just go. Get out of here! Get out of here! Get out of here! Traitor! Get out of here! I can hear Andrew go. Get out of here! I was dying. Like it was so fucking funny. And then somebody stands up and goes, "This is the head of the intelligence." And they all shut up, stand up, and go, "Are we gonna die?" Like, excuse me. Um, the other moment was where we transition into the cherry orchard bar. Okay. And. It starts on the sign and it just does this slow tracking shot across the the room and you got a bunch of people drinking in the foreground and uh, there's the stage performers far in the background. I just I found it so telling of the time that this pan is happening and it is so hard to see the actual stage performance in the distance because the noxious cloud of smoke from cigars oh, yeah. and cigarettes yep. is just lingering in the air. I was like, oh my god, it is like, it's terrible. Do you remember <laughs> when we were kids where they had a smoking and a non-smoking section? I do. And you think about it, that was like less than 20 or 30 years ago. I remember like they stopped letting people smoke like around the early 2000s in places. Yeah. And there was, it never made any sense to me to have a smoking and non-smoking section. Yeah, you're section still going to get the smoke in because, the non-smoking yeah, section. you're not that far apart. Yeah. Like you go into a Denny's and there would be smoking on this side, but non-smoking on this side. The place is like 20 feet long. Do you know where you can still smell it, even though I know they've cleaned it up? Is a restaurant very close to us. What's that? Greg's. Yeah. So they have the new section where they built the tavern, which is the newer tavern, which is the high tops where we've gone with coworkers and friends to have dinner. But if you go into the section where they sell the pies and they have, it smells like old people and just stale cigars to me. That Ooh. smell, like even though I know that they closed that place down, they cleaned it up, they replaced like sections. It's just still there. And I love when I go with my friends. We'll, we'll grab like dinner after work sometimes. The food is terrible. I'm really sorry. If anybody <laughs> likes Greg's, I apologize. But the only thing good is the pickles, homemade pickles, and the fries with cheese and bacon. You can't do wrong with fries and cheese and bacon. But like you walk into the tavern part and we always say we want to eat in the tavern because one of our friends has like really bad breathing problems. She goes into that section and she's like, I can't fucking breathe in here. I can't do it. This is bad. And I just laugh because I'm like, it has been almost 30 years. They've cleaned this and that lingering smell. They would have to strip out the wallpaper and fucking yeah. everything. Like it's in our apartment too. You ever notice the bathroom? Like the person previous to where you moved in, they were a smoker. Yeah. You can still see the bathroom walls bleed yellow sometimes i've cleaned that you've watched me i've cleaned that room with bleach you and me both we've tried to clean this place and it just still happens sometimes like if you're not paying attention like i'll notice some of the walls like it gets very dusty actually happening right there by the bed yeah right by the bed there's this line of like 
Yeah. Just yellow. And we we clean. Like, we're not dirty people. We no, clean. clean the fuck out of it. And it just keeps coming back. I cannot wait to have our own home where I can have a hypoallergenic filter system yeah. and a vacuum built into the wall. So I don't have to worry about this. <laughs> I'm all ready to build my own Home Depot shed so I have my own house. But uh, Would you make this film today? No. I leave this one where it is. People have remade stuff like this. Espionage films are oh, a dime a dozen. They're a lot more frequent, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, who's going to be Vivian Lee? I mean... She's the best part of this fucking movie. Sorry. I don't know. Like, I think this is one that could probably be updated. I don't really necessarily want to see it, though. Yeah, but what would you update it to today? Would you update it current events, or would you keep it no, in the world you would wars? No, you would just do the same time period. You'd make it a period piece, but it, it's... Purely because of the information sewn into the lace of the gowns. Well, yeah. Purely for that reason. I, I think it could be done pretty well today. Mm. I don't see a need for it. Yeah, no. Would you call this mainstream exploitation or other? I mean, for the time, I would call this mainstream other because it's an espionage. This is not a grindhouse film. Although, because of the age, it probably would have been played in certain grindhouses. I mean, this release of it alone, like, it's... It's a double we ha- feature. We have a double bill tape. Yeah. Like, it, it's two movies in a pack... Like, that would have been played probably back-to-back. Yeah. You've got two movies that are a little over an hour each, so this would be great. You'd place the news in the middle of it, current events and shit, and that's how they would play. So, I honestly, this is a Grindhouse-like kind of movie, but I believe this is another. All right. Do you have anything else you want to say about Dark Journey? Um, I'm hoping that I can do other black and white films, but um, I wanted to, for the beginning of this year, play it safe with a nice, nice old, a nice, simple black and white movie. We gonna get weirder, folks. Oh, I'm diving deep into our archive. We're going deep. (laughs) Alright, I think that brings this episode to a close, but don't go anywhere just yet. Please stay tuned for the coming attractions. Carol Joe is back. Jerry waited two long years. Now it's time to make a life for themselves. He's an honest trucker who won't make deals. I mean, I don't haul that stuff, I don't drive, huh? That's right, just keep your mouth shut and do as you're told. But it gets tougher for both of them. I'm pregnant, Carol Joe. And I've been thinking I wish I weren't. They force him to fight back, their way. But he won't quit. Get up! No matter what. You're about to walk off a cliff, boy! He's only gonna get you dead, man! They got the muscle. 
they own the law. You're under arrest for the murder of Dwayne Howard. They terrify his wife. Take the deal and let's get the hell away from here. He's a working man who's had enough. Deputy Dog, you know who this is. You call him and tell him I'm coming here. Ride with Carol Joe on a trip you'll never forget. this phrase white line fever but i've never heard of this movie the fuck are we about to watch this one this is a like action thriller from the mid 70s Mm. it's uh this is definitely one that's a lot of people consider to be one of those like great car movies oh okay so like it's up there when you think of things like Gone in 60 Seconds, not the Nicolas Cage one, the original Gone in 60 Seconds. Mm. Uh, It's up there with things like Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, and um, uh, Vanishing Point. Dirty, crazy, (laughs) fucking Mary? Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. That's a movie from 1974. All right. These are movies I have never heard of, except for Gone in 60 Seconds. These are very, they're very prominent, like road movies like movies that take place in a car like mad max mad max is a good example okay. that's also a post-apocalyptic i've never movie. seen that one either but this is this one has to do with truckers oh good which is a little bit different but it's a very popular like high speed kind of action movie we're watching speed what no no <laughs> maybe eventually but not now <laughs> that's mainstream um this is a movie that it took me a very long time to finally own. I always wanted to, and I got a really good release, but we're going to talk about that more next week. Yep. All right. Well, let's let's get this show on the road then. All right, guys. If you want to keep up on everything that we're doing, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast. We're on Twitter at Grindhouse Cast. You can find us on Discord where you can chat with Leah about this week's yeah. film or any of the films that we previously covered. We'd love it if you suggested us some movies that you'd maybe like to hear us talk about. All the links for everything are going to be down in the show notes. Listen to us first thing every Monday morning. Give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your morning fix. If you like what we're doing and you want to show this show some support, you can subscribe to us over on Patreon or directly through Acast, where you can get yourself access to ad-free listening or unlock some fun, exclusive bonus content just for our loving supporters. Until next week, I'm Sean. I'm Leah. Thank you for listening, and keep watching. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. <laughs> My throat is killing me.
shocking nature of many scenes in this film, it is definitely not recommended for the squeamish.